0: I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles this morning. We're going to be going through the Bible in in multiple sections, but I'm going to ask you to open this morning uh, to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 15, and then we're going to move through the Scriptures. So if you have your Bible, I hope you have it handy with you as we move through the Word of God today. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 says this, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle sent to the Gentiles as he was reflecting on his life and on his conversion to Christianity. Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, Paul, who was complicit in at least One murder that we know of, the murder of Stephen. Paul, who was converted on the road to Damascus and perhaps was one of the greatest servants of God of all time. Paul states that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Why do we celebrate resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Right? That word saves means to rescue from peril, to pull him out of danger. What was the peril? What was the rescue? That man was unbelievably and inescapably lost in their trespasses and sins. You know, the Puritan Thomas Fuller once said this, He that falls into sin is a man. He that grieves at it is a saint. He that boasts of it is a devil. English pastor William Marsh agreed um, almost two centuries later, and he added this. He said, the only one thing more, he said, he who forgives sin is God. Only God can forgive sins. And I want you to note that Jesus Christ came into the world not because he was a good person, not because he was going to do some social experiment, not because he was, you know, he was concerned with civil rights or anything. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what he came to do. That's why we have a, a Resurrection Sunday. And when we hear that term, save sinners, there might be a tendency to think that Christ Jesus came into the world to save the worst of the worst of society. We think of thieves and murderers. But that's simply not true. Rather, it is all those whose transgressions, all those whose sins are against God, that Christ Jesus came into the world. And by the way, that would be every person, every person born into sin. So today, followers of Christ, believers, in Christ. Proclaim as Paul proclaimed. That today on April 17, 2022, we proclaim again that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That Christ Jesus is still extending his hand to save sinners. That Christ Jesus is still changing lives. And he's changing lives through the power of the gospel and the power of the resurrection. Now to establish this truth, Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to go to the Holy Scriptures. We're going to go to the historical record of Christ's life, the Gospels, and that of the early church to demonstrate clearly from the Scriptures why there is salvation and forgiveness of sin only in Jesus Christ. And I submit to you that if you have never come to Christ, if you have never placed your faith and trust completely and solely in the finished work of Christ on the cross, that after hearing these words, that you too would come to a place of total surrender and faith in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at five different points that the Scriptures make And the first point we're going to make is that there is a problem, and the problem is sin. Turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Here Jesus is meeting with the theological chief in Israel. The man named Nicodemus. And in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus makes this statement. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now to get the appropriate context right, this is a famous passage of Jesus with the great teacher of Nicodemus nicodemus jesus referred to as the teacher in israel he was the teacher he was the educator of the pharisees right so to be a pharisee was a, not an easy task you had to study for many years you had to memorize the first five books of the bible you had to live your life in a certain way you have to quote observe all the law right this was the teacher of the chief priests and the pharisees so this is the top dog nicodemus was the one that would walk down the street and they go there goes nicodemus man you got to hear his teaching right and notice something that he comes to jesus at night he comes to jesus privately he comes to jesus discreetly Because he had observed the great works and the great teachings of Christ. And he knew that there was something more to Jesus. But he wasn't fully convinced. And so he comes to have a one-on-one conversation with a person that was already disdained by the rest of the Pharisees. And he says, you must be a man of God because nobody could do what you do unless God is with him and jesus comes forward and tells them, verse three unless a man is born again he cannot see the kingdom of heaven and the first question that you might have is What does it mean to be born again? Well, that term literally means born from above, born from heaven. The point that Jesus is making to Nicodemus is, look, the same way you were born physically from a mother, the same way you come from an infant and you grow into your adulthood, well, you must be born again of the Spirit. And I want to point out something. No one is born right with God. The problem is sin. And sin must be dealt with. And the implication is that we must have a solution to sin. Jesus goes on in John 3, beginning with verse 16. I know many of you probably know this by heart, but 17 and 18 become pivotal in understanding 316. Look at the words of Jesus, for God so loved the world That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. What Jesus is saying is that there is a problem inherent with all people. All are born into a world of separation from God. That separation is the result of sin of the fall of Adam. That's what it is. The problem is sin. And this innate ability in all of the human race to be obedient unto God. And so God's moral standards we see that are contained in the Ten Commandments. This is God's perfection, is contained in the Ten Commandments. And you might know some of them, right? Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, right? Um, Honor thy father and thy mother among some of them, right? But most of all, foremost of all, is the first commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, and thy strength. And I'm going to submit to you, there isn't a person who loves the Lord thy God with all of thy mind, thy heart, and soul, and strength. And the gospel makes it very clear that if you break one of these commandments, you're guilty of all. Now, who here is going to say, I never told a lie, or I never stole, or I never looked on a man or a woman with lust, and I never took the name of the Lord in vain, and I never dishonored the Sabbath? The problem is, we've all done it. Primary perpetrator, primary offender, we've all done it. God is holy as we saw several weeks ago. And His holiness demands justice. If God is holy, God cannot tolerate sin. Sin must be dealt with. I often tell people so many times, what would you think if you had to spend a day in court? And it was sentencing day, and there stood a judge in the first person comes to be sentenced and the prosecutor reads the crimes this person's guilty he killed 48 people and burned the house down and stole all their money and did everything else and the judge was to look at that person and say do you have anything to say before i pronounce judgment and the perpetrator would stand up and say well your honor you know i've had a lot of time to think about it while i've been in jail i'm really sorry and the judge stops for a moment and he thinks, he goes, you know what, today's your lucky day, I'm going to let you go. And he walks out. And the next person comes up. And the list of crimes are read against them and they're heinous crimes. And the judge says the same thing to the next person. You have anything to say before I pronounce sentencing? Well, having seen the other guy, he figures he's going to give it a shot. And he says, Your Honor, you know, I've had a lot of time to think about it and in jail and you know, I'm really sorry, and if you give me a chance, I won't do it again. And the judge looks at him and says, well, you know what, I'm going to dismiss your charges. Go ahead, go free. And you watch this time after time again. People convicted, people that are, are, are convicted of terrible crimes, terrible crimes. And one by one, the judge arbitrarily dismisses. What would you think of that judge? You would say he's a wicked judge. He does not enforce the law. God is not a wicked judge. God's holiness demands justice. God's holiness demands that sin be dealt with. Herein lies the problem. Human beings... Simply do not observe all of the law of God. And I know we have a lot of excuses as to why we lie, steal, cheat, look on people, uh, look on people in adulterous fashion. But this only demonstrates the problem of sin and our need for a solution. A solution to sin. Because all people are striving against God. The biblical term used for that is enmity. It means we're warring against God. We're striving against God. And you say, well, how do I strive against God? You strive against God because your sin nature refuses to submit to the law and to the will of God. This is the necessity for being born again notice that Jesus said in John 3:17 he said he brought his son into the world that uh, not to perish um, not to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him now notice 3:18 he who believes in him is not judged but notice this but he who does not believe in him is judged already He doesn't believe in Christ. He is already sitting under the judgment of God because of his natural depravity against God. So the second point I want to make to you is that God provided a solution to sin. And as the solution to sin, God gave His Son. And God made His Son, Jesus, become a substitute for the entire human race. Jesus would live a sinless life and willingly, listen, willingly and intentionally proceed to the cross of Calvary to become a sacrifice for all who believe in him. Christ would become the penalty of sin. That's what would happen. Christ would become the penalty of sin. Simply put, the punishment that we should have received for our violations and our striving against God was placed upon Christ. And Christ bore that part, uh, uh, bore that penalty. We, we talked about that Friday night in our Good Friday service. How how Christ, the wrath of God was poured out upon Christ. How Christ drank the cup of God's wrath and he didn't sip it. He drank every single drop. The Apostle Paul writes of this in his famous epistle to the Romans. You could turn there, Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 23. The Apostle Paul writes this. Notice his words. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Instead of God being like that wicked judge who dismisses all transgressions, who does not deal with justice against them, God gave his son to be a sacrifice, and the justice of God fell upon his son. I want you to get that in your mind. The justice of God fell upon his son. Your lies, your sins, my lies, my sins, my blasphemies, my immoralities, my adulteries, my murder, my anger, all of those sins fell upon Christ. The shame of hanging on the cross was my shame. And it was your shame of all your sins. God provided a solution to the problem of sin. And the solution was His only begotten Son. Listen to the words of Paul here again. And I just want to point out a few things. In verse 25 here of Romans 3. God displayed him publicly publicly christ hung on the cross publicly for the whole world to see beaten bloody and naked he hung why because god made him a propitiation big theological word what does that mean it means that christ satisfied the justice of god God was able to judge our sins through Christ. He was able to judge our sins through Christ. Christ became that propitiation. He satisfied God's wrath, and that enables God now to extend His grace and mercy to anyone who calls upon Him to be saved. God doesn't save a person because, oh boy, you know, I really like that Al or I really like that guy. God saves because atonement has been made through Jesus Christ. His justice now is satisfied. So God, look at what Paul says at the end of that verse. He says here in verse uh, 25, this was to demonstrate God's righteousness because in the forbearance, key word forbearance, that means god has withheld what was rightly due right because in the forbearance of god he passed over sins previously committed get this for the demonstration i say of god's right his righteousness and notice what the end says that he might be the just and that means the just god but god can now justify The one who has faith in Christ Jesus. No more glorious truth is there. He becomes the justifier. He comes the one who cries out to Christ for mercy and says, God, you don't know my sins. You don't know all the things that I've done. God said, I can justify you because no sins have been paid by my son, Jesus Christ. Look a little further ahead. In Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, listen to these glorious words. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Did you hear that? Did you hear those words? God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we weren't made right. We weren't perfect. We weren't walking right. We were in enmity with God, but God demonstrated his own love while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Now, many times I talk to people and they say, boy, if I ever walked into the church, the r- roof is going to collapse on me. And the number one excuse they give you for not going to church is this. Well, I got I to gotta get myself right before I go to church. No, you need to come as you are. You need to fall on your face and cry out and say, God, have mercy for me, a sinner. This is, what, this is precisely what happened in Nicodemus' life and what happened in the Apostle Paul's life. Praise God, it happened in my life, and I know it's happened in some of your lives. As a matter of fact, this is the salvation that Christ offers. Now I want to point something out to you and this is the third point. The third point is Christ dying on the cross was not an act of cruelty but it was an act of God's love. Christ's death on the cross at Calvary was an immense act of God's love. Christ is going to the cross enduring the pain and suffering of the cross and Christ's act of dying is for those who would believe in him. It was an act of God's love as we just read in the Gospel of Romans. And it's the same love that Jesus spoke about in John three sixteen That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And herein lies the amazing truth of the love of God. God did it so no one would perish i want you to hear that again god did it he gave christ so that no one should perish no one should die in their sinful estate no one should face the wrath and the justice of god in god's immense unmerited favor love and grace God calls men and women to himself through the finished work of Christ on the cross. You know, that statement alone you would think should cause everyone to fall on their face and repent and come to Christ. And here's a warning. Many people don't come to Christ because of pride. Many people don't come to Christ because they say, I don't need a Savior. Many people will not bow the knee because in bowing the knee to Christ and coming and surrendering totally to them, to Christ, they feel the compulsion that they could do it themselves or they're better. Don't buy into that lie of the devil. Don't buy into it. God... Jesus Christ hung publicly upon the cross, naked, bloodied, beaten. The whole world saw it. And it wasn't like everybody was yelling, praise God, hallelujah. We know that the disciples were hiding for fear of the Jews. We know that most of the people at the base of the cross were hurling abuse at him and spitting on him and taunting him until his last breath. But let me tell you something, there is no more amazing love than that love of God that gave His Son to become a substitute for sin. This was the message of the early Christians. This was the message of the early church. And this is the message of the true church today. Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Here's Peter preaching. Acts 3:19. He says repent therefore and return that your sins might be wiped away. How many want sins wiped away? I want sins wiped away. I'm not ashamed to say it. Wipe them all away, Lord. Clean the slate, white as snow. The prophet Isaiah calling out to a rebellious people in Judah in Isaiah 1:18, speaking for God says thus saith the Lord, Come, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Come, though your sins be red as crimson, they shall be white as wool. Peter here tells the people, repent therefore, return that your sins might be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Go over to Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 12. And neither is there salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Delivered from peril. Delivered from the wrath of God. Delivered from the impending peril. Yes, the cross of Calvary was an act of God's love. And the fourth point, and this is the critical point now, There is a necessity for belief. There is a necessity for belief. Belief in Christ is the catalyst for forgiveness of sins. Now the term believe in the Greek is not what it means in the English. In English, we think of believe as mentally agreeing with something. Right? So if you're a Republican, you you say, I believe in the principles of the Republican Party. Whatever it is that you may... I believe that the Boston Red Sox are inherently evil. I believe in the Yankees. But in English, when we use that term to believe... That's what we're referring to. We agree with something. But in the Greek language, the term belief has a broader connotation. It has a broader definition or meaning. Belief in the Greek means to entrust yourself to something. What that means is you're going to default upon something. That is your basis for trust. A good example of that may be jumping out of an airplane, right? And you board the airplane, and the, let's say they give everybody a parachute, right? And you, you know, you, you have that parachute underneath your seat, and as the plane begins to crash, now you, when you get the parachute, you might say, "Oh, well, thank goodness there's a parachute in the event anything happens. How do you know? Because you've seen people parachute, and you've seen them land, and everything is okay. So you believe that a parachute can save your life in the event of an emergency. But now the pilot gets on, and he says, I got good news and bad news. He said, the bad news is the plane is going down, we're going to crash. The good news is all of you have a parachute underneath your seat, Strap it on your shoulders and please head to the exits. And there the door is open. And you're at 15,000 feet or 20,000 feet. And they go, come on, let's go. And you're in the doorway and you're looking down. (laughs) And you go, I don't know if I could do this, man. I don't know if I could do this. And they're hurrying you. Hurry up! Hurry up! And you know in that moment, if you're going to survive, you know in that moment you got to jump. What gives you the courage to jump is that you are going to entrust your entire life to that when you jump and pull that ripcord, that parachute will inflate and you will float safely to earth see you believed in the parachute before you needed it but when you needed it in that moment you put all your faith and all your trust in that device that's the belief that the scriptures talk about believe in him You see, a lot of people will give mental acknowledgement. I believe there was a person, Jesus. I believe he was the son of God. I believe he was crucified. I believe he was dead. I believe he was buried. I believe he rose on the third day. And they take these data points and they say, okay, I'm bought into the data points regarding Christ. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus put it this way. Many, many shall say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out devils in your name? Did I not do mighty works in your name? And the Lord's response is going to be, depart from me, doers of iniquity, for I know you not. I never knew you. But notice what they said they did. They cast out devils. They preached. They did a lot of great things in the name of the Lord. They may have been honest people with, mental ascent to the Lord. But the believer is not that. The believer sees themselves desperate and lost without Christ. The believer says, I'm condemned by my sin, my good nature. There's nothing good in me. God needs to save me. And so the believer comes to Christ and they come to the cross of Christ and they fall at the feet of the cross and say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And they trust Christ and Christ alone. Nothing else. It's not Christ plus my good works. It's not Christ plus my church. It is Christ and Christ alone. This is the nature of belief. And that is why there are many people who will profess Christ and you will not see any changed nature in them. And then there are people who profess Christ and hunger and thirst yes, after God. Yes, this is what it means to believe in Christ. This is what Jesus was talking about in John three sixteen when he said, whoever believes in him shall not perish. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 4-10. through The Apostle Paul puts it this way in his famous epistle to the Ephesians. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to call your attention to that point not of yourselves. That's not our salvation is not our work. Salvation isn't something we do. When we cry out have mercy on me lord a sinner god save me you know what we do? We jump out of that proverbial airplane. And God inflates the parachute. And God saves. So many religions, just about every religion in the world makes this claim. This is what you must do to please God. Only historic, biblical Christianity says there's nothing you can do. This is what God did through Christ, to be saved. Which brings us to the fifth point and why we're here today. The necessity of the resurrection. So we've established that Christ had to die to save sinners. That God is rich in mercy by offering His Son, Jesus Christ, to become a sacrifice for the sins for all who have faith. And believe in Jesus Christ. And that the cross of Calvary was the place of that sacrifice. But there's one thing missing. There's one thing missing. How does Christ's death deliver us from the ultimate penalty of sin? Which is death. And the answer for this is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Holy Scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ, after laying in the tomb and rising on the third day, by the way, I want you to know, this is a historical fact. Don't don't let all the whitewashers tell you a lie. This isn't mythological. This is a historical fact. That Christ died, was buried, and he rose on the third day after laying in the tomb And Scripture tells us that Jesus physically rose from the dead. Not as a spirit, not as a phantom, not as some kind of mass hallucination. Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the sign given from God the Father that he has accepted the sacrifice of his son. That Christ is more than sufficient to offer forgiveness of sin, a new life, and eternal life to all who come to Him in faith in Christ Jesus. Listen to the words of the scriptures Acts 2 32 to 34. Peter on Pentecost speaking. This Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Peter cries out the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8 cried delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom until, uh, remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles. And last of all, as it were untimely born, he appeared to me. Listen as he goes further in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and 21. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power that enables ordinary sinful people to live vibrant, holy, victorious lives. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that provides hope to the hopeless, strength to the weary, fullness of joy to the depressed and confidence in death because of the resurrection of jesus sin and its power are defeated and one could walk in newness of life Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all who come to Jesus in faith and repentance, those who turn from themselves and come to Jesus Christ seeking mercy will find mercy, grace, and eternal life with God. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the believer's life does not end when our hearts stop beating, praise God. But rather we rise we rise to be with christ we rise to be in the presence of god and that for eternity listen to the word of god the apostle peter in 1 peter 1 verses 3 to 5 listen how peter calls it blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be ready to reveal in the last time. And Peter is telling a church that is being persecuted that your hope has never vanished. Note what... Peter says, that the believer is born again. This is the hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The believer has an inheritance that Peter described, which is perfect. It's undefiled. It's reserved in heaven for us. And we are protected by the power of God himself, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. So what do we see? What's the big deal? I always say that. You might be going, whoop-dee-doo, what's this got to do with me? We saw, number one, that there was a problem with sin. Number two, we saw that God made a solution to sin, offering His only Son as a sacrifice. Number three, we saw that it took a great act of love of God to make that. Number four, We absolutely saw the necessity of belief. And if you leave here with nothing else, leave here knowing that belief is not mentally uh, accepting certain points about Christ, but it is total and complete surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And lastly, we saw the necessity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to become that enabling power to live vibrant, victorious Christian lives. So why do we, on this Sunday, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's simply that there is new life. There is forgiveness of sin. That because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God extends his hand and he calls out to all people, come to me, come to me, be saved. You don't have to turn there but Acts 221 says this quoting the prophet Joel and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you cried out to God? Have mercy on me a sinner. Are you confident that if you were to die today, tonight, are you absolutely confident that when your eyes close on this earth, they would open in the presence of God? Or are you not sure? Or you think so? Or you, 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 you kind of 70-30 split, I think I'm leaning more to it or Yes. Uh, Then, no. Then I beg you, by the word of God, by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, by every fiber of my being, that you would cry out to God and say, God, save me, a sinner. Listen, I want to be crystal clear. It doesn't matter if you were baptized. It doesn't matter if you were raised in a Christian home. It doesn't matter whether your father was a pastor or whether he was a pope. It doesn't matter what church you belong to. It doesn't matter what you used to do that are not doing today. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that you are saved. The only thing that matters is when you hear the voice of God calling you unto repentance, that you don't push it off and say, I'm going to do it for another day. That shows no regard for the mercy and the grace of God. You never know if you're going to have a second chance. And I'm not doing this for intimidation or anything else, it's just the truth. You know what keeps me up at night? I'm going to tell you what keeps me up at night. You know what's a horrible thing about the ministry? The horror of the ministry is how many people have I presented the gospel to and heard the word of God over and over and over and over again and are not saved and will not be in heaven and will receive the justice of God with all the knowledge and light that they had on this world. Do not spurn God's gift. Of salvation. Unlike any other man in history. Christ gave up his life. He was buried. He rose from the dead. His sacrifice accepted by God the Father. And listen. Here's the best part. He stands willing to forgive your sins. Today. Today. All you have to do. Is repent. What's that mean? Turn from your sins. Turn from. Christ and trust Christ alone nothing else for your salvation the apostle Paul stated it this way in Acts 17 30 through 31 therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent Because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. God will indeed judge the world. My church knows this. This world is is rapidly heading toward a climax. Rapidly. The foundations are crumbling. We're seeing it happen every single day. I'll throw this one in for free. Yesterday in an op-ed in the New York Times, the writer of the op-ed said, how about for this Easter we do away with God? This is in the New York Times. You know, if this was written in 1950, the outrage that would have caused in this country... And he went on to say that God is responsible for murders and wars and and crimes against humanity, that if he were here today, he would be brought before the world court in the Hague. There's justice for you. The New York Times calls for, let's get rid of God. You could check it out yourself. I didn't make this stuff up. Here's a word for the New York Times. Ain't going to happen. They have been trying to do away with God since the garden. And ain't going to happen. And if the person who wrote that article does not repent, and turn to Christ for forgiveness of sins, that person will stand before the living God on Judgment Day. And it ain't going to be pretty. Listen, only those who put their complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believe will be saved. And so I implore you, I beg you on this Resurrection Sunday, if that's you, come to Christ right where you are. Cry out to God and say, God, have mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Look, when I got saved, I cried out all alone. I didn't go through a four-step process. I didn't have somebody, come on, walk the aisle. Come on, come on. I, I didn't do it. I was alone in my car. I said, God, is there mercy? Can you save me after everything I've done? God, save me. To this day, I don't think I ever cried harder in my life than the day I cried out to God and asked him to save me. After years of believing I was saved, after years that I had been baptized, (coughs) raised in the church, grandson and son of a pastor, sang in the choir. Listen, preached. You hear me? As an unbeliever. Preached. All of that failed me. All of it. Until I came to the place that I saw myself as a sinner before a holy and just God. And I'm going to tell you something. God changed my life. He changed my life. I wanted nothing to do with him. Look at where I am, preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God will do the same for you. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. The truthfulness of the gospel never gets old. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that after 2,000 years of multiple governments, multiple kingdoms, multiple organizations, trying to say that you are a Dead Father, you are as vibrant and alive as you ever have been because man can't kill you. And Father, we thank you for the Word of God which instructs us in truth. And we pray, Lord God, today, today, that if there are any here, that the Spirit of God is drawing them, Lord. If there are any here who have a conviction of sin, if there are any here, Lord, that You're revealing to them You've not lived right, You haven't trusted in Christ, That, Lord, right now at this moment, oh God, right now at this moment, Lord, in the silence of their heart between you and them, that they would cry out to you and say, God, save me, please, God, save me, is there hope for me? And that, Father, Lord, your word tells us that he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Father, I pray that at this moment, Father, that you would extend your hand to reprove, to admonish, to exhort, to convict, and that you would extend your hand right at this time to save. Save today, O God. Let resurrection Sunday be the resurrection of some saint here today, O oh God. And whomever may hear this word, Lord. So Father, we thank you for a salvation that is full and a salvation that is free. And we give you all of the glory, Lord. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen.